bit disturbing when people get up and walk out while you're preaching. No, but he didn't do it because of that. He did it because he's got a serious lower back problem and uh, chronic back pain and sciatic pain going down his legs and he, he couldn't get comfortable. So he went out just to try and relieve his pain and to look for some painkillers and stuff. And Luke prayed for him in the foyer and he just got totally healed, completely healed. Came in, sat down, told his wife... She went out because she had a condition where she had an industrial accident a number, of months, a number of years ago that left her with serious neck problems, shoulder problems, pain down her arm. And uh, she kind of partially recovered from that but never fully recovered. But she tries, she's one of these people, she wants to keep fit. So she plays touch rugby. Imagine that with all of this stuff going on. And she got concussed the day before. And it aggravated all the stuff, so she had pins and needles all through her arm and, and all the rest of it. And so her husband just got healed, said, you've got to go out there and get this guy to pray for you. So they go out and Luke prays for her. Now, he didn't know what had happened until I told him just the other day because I met with some of these guys on Tuesday and she got totally healed, even from the condition that she'd had from the accident years before. God is so good. Another guy, Dave, who came up, got arthritis in his shoulders and his feet and uh, with the nature of his job, he's in constant pain all the time because he's always walking around carrying stuff. Can't lift his arms up properly, uh, swollen ankles and God just healed him like literally in 30 seconds. Just totally healed. That's the goodness of God. Amen. There were other things. There was, um, just trying to remember them all, um, Richard and Mary, the, the guys who lead Gate Church, Mary's had rheumatoid arthritis since she was 17, which is over 30 years. I'm not going to give away her age, but she's had it for more than 30 years. And in fact, she spent the first five years of her life, once that was diagnosed, once they realised what was going on, she spent the next five years in bed pretty much. And um, so she has good and bad days, and we prayed for her on, on, on the Sunday. And I didn't think anything happened, you know, didn't feel anything. Um, she didn't seem to be any different. Had lunch with them on Tuesday and she said she can't believe the difference in 30 years, for more than 30 years. She's walking without pain in her legs. She can't normally extend her elbows, her arms, because of the pain in her elbows. She's flexing her elbows completely in and out. All the, all the inflammation in the hands gone. God is so... Good. Amen. He is so good. We just got to keep expecting and keep believing in what God can do. It's not us, it's what He does. But He's looking for people who will stand and begin to act in faith. Steve, I don't think anyone would know Steve, but Steve and I go way, way back. Uh, known each other for a lot. Why don't you come up here, man? I know you've half lost your voice, but just come and say hi. It'd be nice to hear from you. Hi. <laughs> no, it's great to be with you guys this morning. <clears throat> I'm a preacher myself, and I've done it, overdone it. I've been preaching a lot this week. But uh, I tell you what, there's a wonderful spirit here. It's unusual to see Tony just leading by himself. I'm used to seeing him with a big band years ago. But uh, how do you get that s string sound? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very good, very clever. But uh, yeah, but I tell you what, you guys, you guys are going to grow. I mean, you you got a great church, and sometimes it's always hard for a pastor when they want the thing to grow quicker and all that sort of stuff. But uh, you can feel the spirit of God in here, very very strongly. You're seeing miracles like that. Uh, that's amazing, and you're getting that on a local church level, not in some big crusade thing, which is incredible. And uh, I tell you, it's the same atmosphere. It must have been you brought it into Coastlands because it's the same atmosphere. <laughs> and uh, it's really great. Pleasure to be with you guys this morning and uh, see you next time. Great, man. Yeah, I've known Steve, Steve for a while and uh, he's a great evangelist, operates in signs and wonders, sees wonderful miracles. So it's just been good to connect just in the last couple of weeks again. So there'll be more. We'll see more of you. Let me read this. I read, I've had this sitting here for a couple of weeks to read. I thought it was funny. Anyway, um, it doesn't sound funny, 
but it is funny. Jesus has been criticised for a lack of diversity in choosing his apostles. That's the headline of this article. Right? A leading New Testament scholar working at Unified Unity Divinity School has published a paper criticising Jesus for a lack of diversity amongst the apostles he chose in the Gospel accounts. The woman, Dr. Diana T. Manger, pointed out that Jesus only chose Jewish males, refusing to implement diversity quotas for his group of disciples. Jesus chose all Jewish, cisgendered, able-bodied males, another example of extreme white supremacy. She said as she presented the paper before a group of progressive scholars who had promised not to disagree with her, it's obvious that Jesus was a nationalistic, uh, xenophobic, hate-filled fearmonger. Dr. Manger suggested that Jesus should have chosen more women, more transgender disciples, a disciple in a wheelchair, and at least one woman who was one 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 thousandth and twenty-fourth Native American. <laughs> the sickly homogenous group of disciples should have looked more like the Burger King Kids Club. It really hurts Jesus' witness that he did not enforce 21st century diversity quotas on his disciples, she said. Manger has called for a ban on all Bible reading until the Lord agrees to revise history to conform to her standards. (laughs) I saw someone made a comment on it thinking it was real. Anyway, (laughs) I thought that was funny. There's a few, few of those. I don't know if any of you ever seen some of those things. Like one place uh, was going to call a big inquiry because partway through their worship, the smoke machine stopped. And uh, so there was, no, there was no smoky haze on the, on the stage with all the musos. And the article was about how the Holy Spirit had left because the, because the smoke machine stopped working. So there was this big inquiry as to make sure we're going to upgrade all of our equipment so we'll make sure there's never, ever any breakdown because we don't ever want the Holy Spirit to leave ever again. It is tongue-in-cheek. But it's amazing when they see these things get posted, people think they're real, and then you, and then you watch the reactions. It's just, it's just bizarre. All right, we've been looking um, over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to try and finish this today. And a really simple preach. It's just on looking at some simple questions that we really should know answers to. And so we looked at, we've looked at how many? Four. We did three in one day and then we got stuck and spent the whole day just doing one last week. Um, But remember what they were. They were, should we still read the Old Testament if Jesus established the New Testament? Well, Jesus didn't establish the New Testament. He established the New Covenant. And there's a big difference between uh, what we have divisions in the Bible between Old and New Testament and covenants. So absolutely, yes, we should read the Old Testament because in it we see the creation. We see the the fact that man sinned. We have an understanding of how uh, the reason that we need to get saved. There's a whole lot of really good stuff in in the Old Testament that we should definitely read. Should we still teach the Ten Commandments? Well, you're not under the Ten Commandments but we should know them. They actually reveal something of God's heart. So I think that's still good. But without the, Paul says without the law, you wouldn't be conscious of sin. The law makes us conscious of sin. And in Galatians 3, it says, uh, 3 around verse 24, he says that we are no longer under the law. The law was put in place as a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus But now that faith has come, now that Jesus has come, and we've put our faith in him, we are no longer under the law. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't understand what it says. Amen? So, yeah, we should still teach it, but we're not under it. And then we looked at, is there punishment for sin? Well, that really depends on whether you're a believer or not. (laughs) Because if you're in Christ, he paid the price for all our sin. And as you put faith in him, he comes and he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. That's past, present and future sin. All unrighteousness. He gives you the gift of righteousness. John writes and he says, if you're fearful, it's because you, you, because you still think you're subject to punishment. 1 John 4. 
Fear has to do with punishment. Well, there's no punishment for you because you stand in the righteousness of Jesus. And so there's no consequence, there's no punishment this way between you and God anymore for sin if you're in Christ. There can be earthly consequences for what we do. You can, you can break, you can damage relationships and do a whole lot of stuff this way, but this way, if God has forgiven me all of my sin, if he's cleansed me of all my sin, if he's put his righteousness upon me, if he has chosen not to remember my sin but to remove it from me as far as the east is from the west, how can there be any more consequence for my sin? That doesn't give me the right to go out and do whatever I want because Paul says grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. In fact, when you understand the grace of God, you are empowered not to sin. You're strengthened not to sin. So we can still sin, but thank Jesus, there's no... You know, people teach that you, your fellowship is broken if you do anything right. Wow, that makes it a pretty flimsy fellowship, doesn't it? Now, my fellowship isn't broken. The devil can get into my mind and make me think it is, but it isn't. Amen? And then we, and we spent all last Sunday looking at that. If we no longer have a sin nature, if we have a new creation nature in us, and the old nature was circumcised out of us, Colossians 2 says, why do we still sin? Well, do you know when Adam was created, he didn't have a sin nature? But he sinned. Why? Because temptation came from outside of him. And so we've had that sin nature circumcised out of us, but we live with memories of what our old life was like, and we still have external temptation that comes in from outside of us. So you can still sin, but sin is no longer being generated from within you, which is what a sin nature did. So you can still sin. But let's take a step back. What does it mean if I sin? I'm already forgiven. <laughs> I'm already forgiven. So that's why Paul writes and he says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life, what happened when you got saved? The spirit of life came into you. You have the spirit of life dwelling within you. And that law set you free from the law of sin and death. So sin is not being generated from within you anymore, but it's coming from outside of you. That's why Paul says, hey, make sure that you're fully armed and any thought that comes against the knowledge of Christ in you, you take it captive and you subject it to the lordship of Jesus within you. Amen? That's why you can walk free. And we're called to walk free. Romans chapter 8 says the whole of creation is crying out for the Son to be liberated into the same liberty as the sons of God. The glorious freedom of the sons of God. And here we've got Christians all over the place not walking in freedom. They're not walking in glory. They're walking under condemnation because they don't understand the grace of God. Amen? All right. What am I doing? All right, so question number five. Let's deal with this one. Remember, these are questions that came from our kids. So they're, they're in, in kids' language, but they're things that we should understand as well. Amen? So we're going to look at this one today. Why? <laughs> Why is it that it seems like God is so much more angry and wrathful and vengeful and wanting to punish people in the old covenant. And then we get to the new covenant and we go, oh, we've got this loving, merciful, beautiful God who just wants to hug you, love you, give you smarties. Because a lot of people are confused with this and they really don't understand what's going on. This is an important question to know, to understand, 
to be able to give an answer to, because that's what Peter says. Be ready to give an answer for what you believe and why. And we should all be equipped to be able to do that, because a lot of people have got a very distorted view of God because they don't understand basic truth. You with me? Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He, uh, Numbers 23, 19 says, God does not change his mind. Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. James 1, 17 says, God does not change like shifting shadows. But we don't have a different God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is exactly the same. His nature and character is exactly the same. He does not change. You know, some people have this idea that, um, that Jesus so impressed God with his good works when he walked the earth, he so impressed God with his, with his sacrificial death that he changed God's mind. That God's intent was to wipe all of us out kill us all off because he'd had enough. But somehow because of what Jesus did, God, okay, well, I'll change my mind now. I've, I've, seen, I've seen what man can do if, if they really try hard and be good. And a lot of people have that idea. It's wrong. It's totally wrong. Remember when we, when we looked at our very first question in the series, um, you know, Old Covenant, Old, Old Testament, New Testament, that's just a historical division. Uh, man put in the idea of testaments, right? God didn't do that. The Bible is about covenants. From start to finish, it's about covenants. It's not simply a history of, okay, the Old Testament is just a history of Israel, and then we get to the New Testament, and then it's kind of a history of the emergence of Christianity, of the church. That's not what it's talking about. You can see that in there, but that's not what the Bible's about. It's about covenants. And there are seven major covenants. Some say eight, but there's seven or eight major covenants that you see in the Bible. Covenants are contracts between two parties. That there was a list of agreements and promises that one would make to, that you'd make to one another. Sometimes they would have a covenant meal. There's a whole uh, procedure, ceremony that they would go through in establishing a covenant. And so we have these different covenants in, in the Bible. We see in the, in the book of Genesis, in chapter 1 and 2, um, how there's a covenant that God makes with, with Adam. Adam, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the ability to procreate. And I've provided everything you need, but here's the deal. You can't eat from this tree. That was a covenant. Right? God floods the earth destroys everything except for Noah and a few animals and his family in the ark. And then at the end, you see Noah comes out of the ark and then God says, look up, and there's a rainbow in the sky and God says, I will never again destroy the earth like this ever again. That was a covenant that God made with mankind. There's a marriage covenant. God talks about, we, you know, when a man and woman come together, a man shall leave his family and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You read, in, in, that's in Genesis, right? Right at the start, chapter 2. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God says this, I stand as a witness between you and your wife that you would stay faithful to each other in your marriage covenant. Marriage is a covenant. We have um, the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless you and those who bless you I'll bless, those who curse you I'll curse, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to do all of this kind of stuff. That was a covenant that God made with Abraham. God makes a covenant with Moses and Israel right? that flows through to everyone, the Ten Commandments. Right? And he gives all these other laws, Ten Commandments, plus another 603, 613 laws that you had to obey. There was a covenant that was made. God makes a covenant with David. And he says, There is going to be a king upon your throne forever. And we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus, because Jesus is born through the line of David. And then we have 
the greatest covenant of all, the new covenant. Established through Jesus, through his blood. Seven major covenants. Now, here's what many people don't understand, is that some of these covenants are unconditional and some are conditional. An unconditional covenant is a grace covenant. Is that focused? Oh, it's just my glasses. Can you see it? So grace covenants are covenants that God makes with mankind that are unconditional. It's all about what God says I am going to do. Conditional covenants are two-sided. God says I will do this provided you do this. Right? Well, I think we all understand the difference between the two. Um, the, the covenant he makes with Noah was a grace covenant. Why did God destroy the earth with a flood? Because of the evil that had risen in the earth. And God says, I've had enough, taking you out, start again. But then God makes a grace covenant because he comes and he says, no matter how evil man gets in the future, I will never again destroy the world with a flood like that. And as a sign, he puts a rainbow in the sky. And that's an unconditional covenant. God is going to keep his, uh, his bargain. With, he's, he's going to keep his promise that he made. You know, the covenant that God made with Abraham was an unconditional covenant. Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to make your name great. Uh, anyone who curses you, I'll curse. Anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And Abraham didn't have to do anything. It was an unconditional covenant. In actual fact, if you read the next chapter, chapter 13, Abraham goes and he plots and he schemes and he lies. He deliberately deceives people, right? You'd think that's a pretty major sin to actually deliberately go and deceive people. And God, he does nothing. He does nothing. What would you do? <laughs> He'd swat him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, you can't do that. God's just promised you all this blessing and look how you're repaying God. And God doesn't do anything. In actual fact, God blesses Abraham more. He becomes even more wealthy. Because <laughs> it wasn't that, that, that covenant oath wasn't determined by Abraham's behavior, it was determined by God's faithfulness. And all Abraham had to do was believe. You read a couple of chapters on and God kind of ratifies. He makes this thing really clear, chapter 15. And he gets Abraham and he says to him, um, look, uh, I want you to make an offering. I want you to bring a sacrifice and, and bring some birds and a heifer and, and make a little altar and then we're going to, I want you to cut them up and we're going to do a sacrifice. Do you know that, that covenants uh, in particular from the fall Always involved blood. Always involved the shedding of blood. So Abraham comes and he, uh, and he prepares this sacrifice and he gets it all ready and he does what God says and uh, he's, a, he's about to actually go into the next phase of what it would be to make a covenant, which would be to stand, what, what happened with two people would stand together and that were opposite each other and they would put gifts on the ground in the circle, they would walk around them several times. They would make promises to one another, right? They would, they would declare oaths to one another. And here's the interesting thing. They would, at the end of all of that, they would take a knife and they would cut their hand and then they would put their hands together and take a, a cord or a belt or something and they would tie their hands together until all the blood had mingled together. That was, and then they would make covenants. So, so they're right at this point. Abraham has brought the sacrifice, which is his gifts, and they're right at that point now where they're going to start making promises to each other. You know what God does? He puts Abraham to sleep. Bye, boys. Have a rest. And then God comes and he 
he declares again all the promises that he'd made to Abraham in chapter 12 and he extends it, he expands it even more. Now, in a two-sided covenant, in a conditional covenant, Abraham would have had to respond and say, thanks God, that's all wonderful. Um, And then God would tell Abraham what he would have to do in order to see that covenant fulfilled. But Abraham's asleep. And then God leaves. Ever wondered why? Why did God put him to sleep? He didn't want him interrupting and say, okay, God, that's great, I'll do this. <laughs> do you know what Paul says in Galatians 3? He says the, 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 the promise that was made to Abraham, that was the gospel announced in advance. What have we got around the world? Christians putting their hands up saying, yeah, thanks God for the covenant, the new covenant, but I'm going to do this. Are you there? This is what happens all the time. People want to interfere with what God has established and because they think, well, man, I can actually make it better. I can improve on, on God's promise. I think there was something in Abraham's heart where he probably would have done that and God didn't want him messing it up. So, right, you're going to sleep, buddy. <laughs> have you ever wondered why... Um, Remember, God God delivers Israel out of Egypt. 400 years of slavery, they come out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea for them. Um, He deals with the Egyptian army that's wanting to destroy them. He, he, uh, He protects them with a pillar of fire. He leads them with a pillar of smoke. He provides water and food for them in the desert. And do you know what their response is to all of this? Complaint. They grizzle. They groan. They start blaming Moses and they blame God and they get angry towards God and just do nothing but grizzle and complain when they should be actually in a, in a place of gratitude and thanks, but they just grizzle and complain. You ever wonder why God didn't take them out? What would you do? You've just provided everything this person needs to survive. You've, you've, you've saved them again from an army. You've actually opened a sea, a whole sea for them to walk across through, and then they start complaining. What would you do? Ungrateful little. And God doesn't do anything. He just continues to bless them. Now, why? Because they're living under the covenant with Abraham because they are Abraham's offspring. So it's got nothing to do with their behavior. God says, I'm going to bless you because of my faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? That's an unconditional covenant. God makes that unconditional covenant to David. There's going to be a king upon your throne forever and ever and ever. And it's got nothing to do with what you do. Do you know David sinned multiple times? Some pretty bad stuff. Plans to actually have a guy killed because he wants his wife. Now, David actually suffered some earthly consequence because of that. But the oath that God made to him, the promise that God made to him and covenant, says, David, this has got nothing to do with you. I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fulfill this. And then we've got the wonderful new covenant, unconditional covenant that has nothing to do with your behavior. None whatsoever. Your behavior cannot break that covenant. It cannot change that covenant. It's a covenant established between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And we stand as beneficiaries of that unconditional covenant. Amen? As soon as anyone... You know, you know, the wonderful thing is once you have revelation of God's grace, your ears prick up as soon as you hear anything that's contrary. You can just identify it straight away. That's a safe place to be. We don't become judgmental or critical of others, but it's a safe place for you to live when you understand that you live in the glory of the new covenant. Then we've got conditional covenants. Why don't you turn quickly to Exodus 24. Exodus 24. Just look at something here and then we're almost finished. 
So conditional covenants. God makes a covenant with Adam, I'm going to bless you, but I don't want you to eat from that tree because if you do, you're going to die. Right? Conditional covenant. God in, in, in Exodus frees, delivers Israel. They're going through the desert for a while. You get to chapter 19 and 20 and God gives the Ten Commandments. But you've got to read this whole passage. There's a whole big story. You know, one of the things you've got to be careful with with Scripture is don't just read a chapter and then think, okay, there's a big gap and then the next chapter starts. The thing flows through. Right? You've got to read the whole context of things. Um, and so God gives the Old Covenant law to Moses. Um, Ten Commandments plus all of those other laws, all, all law requirements. Um, Moses gets them. He's up on the mountain. He comes down and he reads all these laws to the people. So look here, Exodus 24. Now remember, we're, Israel at, right at this time is still, still living under the covenant of Abraham, a grace covenant, right? God's going to bless them irrespective of what they do. Because God will always deal with you. He always deals with mankind according to the covenant that they are under. That is really important to understand. Look here at verse 3. When Moses went and told the people of all the Lord's, all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. God, everything you've commanded of us, we're going to do it. We have got the ability and capacity to do it. It's quite a boastful, arrogant, prideful thing to say, isn't it? That you have the ability to do everything that God says. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and then he, the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. Notice that the book of the covenant. There's a covenant that's coming, but it's still got to be ratified. It still has to be put in place. Now look, look at what happens in order to put it in place. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Look at this. In accordance with all these words. Important phrase. In accordance with all these words. What words? Was it only the words that God had spoken in giving the law and what they had to do? No, it was their response. This covenant is established in accordance with all these words, the things that I have said as part of the covenant and what you have said as part of the covenant. What did they say? Hey, no worries, God, we can do it all. We can fully obey everything that you command. And at that point, at that point, the covenant was sealed. And to seal it, Moses sprinkles them with blood. Firmly established. If they don't fulfill their side of the bargain now, they are bound by what they have said, but what they have accepted in what God said he would do if they break the covenant. You with me? Now remember, God cannot lie. He is holy. He is just. He will keep to his word. Not because he's mean or harsh, but he holds in esteem the importance of covenant. All right? And so God's bound by the promises of the covenant that the people agreed to.
That's what it says in Jeremiah 31. And remember, God dealt with Abraham and Israel right up until this time under grace. A grace covenant. What changed at Sinai? Israel decided to step out of that covenant and step into a conditional covenant. What did that mean? Uh, God's got to deal with them differently. Now look at this. Jeremiah 31 says, The day will come, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And remember, Israel and Judah are representative of us right, as believers. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. What was that covenant? That was the old covenant. Right? He took them out under the, new co- under, under the Abrahamic covenant, but then they got established in the old covenant of law. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, but this is the new covenant I will make with them. I will put my laws and my desires in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people and I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. New covenant pronouncement. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. Look at this, Isaiah 54. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth. What was that? A grace covenant, right? And destroy its life. So now I swear, I take an oath, I will never again pour out my anger on you. I will never be angry with you again. For even if the mountains and the hills disappear, I will remain loyal to you. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Pronouncement of the new covenant. Isaiah 54. What happened in Isaiah 53? Prophetic prophetic um, words about Jesus' death on the cross. Isaiah 53. What happened straight after that? New covenant established. I will never, ever, ever, ever be angry with you again. Isn't that good news? Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 says this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Men swear by something greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Listen, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. What is the anchor? Now, we think it's Jesus. But it says it went before. And Jesus entered. Something else entered with Jesus. That is an anchor for our soul. Holy Spirit, no? What's this just been talking about? God has taken an oath. And because of that oath and that promise, that establishment, that new covenant established between God the Father and Jesus the Son, established by oath and the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus went in, the fullness of the sacrifice becomes manifest. But something else went with him. The oath. The oath of a new covenant. You see, folk, if we don't have... You you know, we've got Jesus' sacrifice, what an incredible thing. We've got his resurrection, what an incredible thing. 
But if you don't have that married to the oath, see how important this is? If you don't have that married to the oath that God made, it doesn't make anything less of what Jesus did. It doesn't make anything less of his sacrifice. It doesn't make anything less of his resurrection. But it had to be coupled with an oath. And it's that oath. It's that oath because of Jesus' sacrifice. The oath because of Jesus' sacrifice is an anchor for our soul. Now, why is it such a strong anchor? Because God cannot lie. And when he found no one else that he could swear by, he swore by himself. If God breaks that oath, he is going to be swallowed up in a vortex of nothingness and cease to exist. That's how powerful that oath is. God cannot lie, so he cannot break that oath. And that's the, uh, and that, and that's the, that's the new covenant that you and I stand in, folks. I will never be angry with you ever again. I will never hold your sins against you ever again. Wow. Isn't that good? So, um, remember, God never changes. He's always the same. He's always loving. His character, his nature, never, ever changed. The Bible is not just a book of history. It's a book of covenants. So what's all of this, talking about covenants this morning, what's all of that got to do with our question of why does God sometimes seem to be so much angrier in the Old Covenant than he does in the New, or in the Old Testament as compared to the New? And the simple answer is this. God is honour-bound to deal with man according to the covenant agreement that he lives in. God had to deal with man according to the promises that man made. So when man breaks the covenant, he breaks his side of the bargain, what does God have to do? I'll use an example that happened to me So, my, with a burn on my arm. So my mum sticks a saucepan on the, on, the, on the oven, on the cooktop, and she's boiling water, and she says to me, don't touch it. Don't go near that. What do I do? Go near it. In the process, as, as I go to, towards it, what does my mum do? She comes, rushes up to me, grabs my hand, don't do that. Now, does she come and yell at me and smack my hand because she's angry and wrathful and vengeful and wants to punish me? She does it because she loves me. And the stuff that we read in the Old Testament, folk, that, we, that, that people interpret as God being this harsh, mean, ugly God that just wants to punish people, when actually what he's doing is out of love, disciplining them and trying to get them back on track so they get an understanding. Man, if you just stay in this place of believing in what I can do for you, you're not going to get yourself in so much trouble and you're not going to hurt yourself. Do you know a lot of stuff that people think God did to people, they just did to themselves. And then God gets the bad rap for it. <laughs> What is so amazing, so amazing, is that the, the amount of times that God says, if you do this, guys, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And it looks like God is just being mean and harsh. But he says, I'm warning you. And if you look at if you follow those stories through, there's only one or two occasions where you can see God just bang, all of a sudden he will actually pass judgment and straight away, once. 
In fact, once where you see it immediately happening. Once. Do you know when it happened? Straight after, straight after covenant was established, the old law covenant. Moses comes down on the mountain. What does he find? Everyone's doing exactly what they said they wouldn't do. First covenant, first, first, first command: worship God. All right? Don't make any graven images. Don't worship idols. What are they doing? Worshiping idols. What does God have to do? I've got to deal with you according to the covenant. Takes 3,000 out. Straight away. You compare that to what happened. You know when that happened? 50 days. 50 days after God gave the law. When they were sprinkled with the blood to establish that covenant. 50 days after, 3,000 die. What happened 50 days after Jesus died? 3,000 people get saved. One's under law. I've got to deal with you according to the covenant. One's under grace. I'm going to deal with you according to this new covenant. <laughs> Folk, I don't know if you've ever been to a 3D movie. Um, you've got to put on those special glasses to be able to see. If you don't, everything's blurry. Like if we don't understand the fact that God deals with us right through history from Genesis to Revelation according to covenant, you're going to see things blurry and you're going to have a distorted picture of God. You've got to put those glasses on. What are they? The new covenant. So that you filter everything through the new covenant. Amen? And so God no longer relates to us on the basis of a conditional covenant. He relates to us on the basis of the new covenant doesn't relate to us on the basis of our ability to obey the law. He relates to us on, the, on Jesus obeying the law perfectly for us. Amen? So has God changed in his nature, in his character? Absolutely not. But the way that he has had to deal with mankind changes. God always has to deal with us on the basis of the covenant that we live under. Amen? That's why you better be living under the new covenant. <laughs> People blame God for earthquakes and tsunamis and tornadoes and we've got prophets running all around the world saying that's God's judgment. You can see it. Just have a look. It's always going on. God's judging that nation. He's taking them out and this is how he's going to do it. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Why? Because, now look, folk, we live in the benefits of the new covenant because we are in Christ. right? So they all flow to us freely. But do you know the whole earth, while they, not, while they may not have faith in Jesus... While all of those actually wonderful promises and blessings are coming to them freely because they don't have faith in him, they are still living under the banner of the new covenant. Did you know that? People, a lot of people don't think that, but they actually are. Now, we've got to be careful in a way. I haven't got time to qualify all of that. But, but listen, um, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, around verse 18 or so, he says, um, God was not counting men's sins against them. Right? He was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. He goes on and he says, you and I have been commissioned as ambassadors of the kingdom to actually preach the gospel. And he says, go out and tell people to be reconciled. So there is a a position where they are reconciled. God has done everything to bring, him, bring them to himself, but they've still actually got to put faith in Jesus. Amen? God is not punishing people, pouring out wrath on them, because Jesus paid the price for all sin, not just your sin. For all sin. But here's, here's, the, here's, here's the reality is that there is coming a day 
when everyone will stand before God. And then that day, that day, the old covenant does come back into play because people will give an account as to whether they put faith in Jesus. And if they have, you live with all the benefits of the new covenant. If you haven't put faith in Jesus, then all you have left is the punishment that comes from being outside of that new covenant. So there is some qualifying things that we need to understand. But folk, when you hear people going around saying, hey, that earthquake happened because God's taken that nation out or those groups of people out, folk, that's wrong. God does not do that anymore and he took an oath to never do that again. Amen? Is, that, is this helpful? So God didn't change. He's always the same. He's been just as loving right from the start of Genesis right to the end of Revelation. He does not change. Does not change. But the way that he relates to people has changed. Amen? So I hope you're armed with a little bit of an answer to give to people. Now, God's not angry and mean and harsh in the Old Testament. He's dealing with us according to covenant. Thank you, Jesus, that we live under the new covenant. <laughs> Amen? Well... I had two questions to do. We've done one. Bad luck. <laughs> all right. If you'd like prayer for anything, we'd love to, be, love to pray for you. If anything at all, we're happy to do that. Um, just come see us at the end of the meeting and we'll pray for you. We'll have guys who will pray for you. Um, other than that, have a wonderful week, guys. Bless you and live in the fullness and the freedom of the new covenant. <laughs>